0: Um, All right, Uh, I want to give you a quick story about, uh, I guess, this conversation. Actually, I want to preface. This is maybe the most vulnerable thing I've ever shared to the Ruby. It's also not nearly as deep as some of the things that I've shared at the Ruby that you would also say was very vulnerable. But I want to name something to give myself an excuse to be vulnerable. All of you have weird habits, all of you. I'm gonna share a weird habit that I have. And I expect grace. I expect you to search through your own life, find your weird habit that I could definitely judge you for and hear me saying, I'll try my best not to judge you if you'll try your best not to judge me. And then at the end of this, at the count of three, we're all gonna yell our weirdest habit. I'm just kidding. Uh, But I am gonna basically yell mine on a recorded podcast. So please respect the vulnerability. All right. Um, So since I was a young kid, In my ignorance, as a child, I bit my nails. We're not there yet, bit my nails. Always been biting my nails, always. In my adolescence, are you guys ready? Buckle up, are you ready? Tell me you're ready, give me a head nod. This is, I'm not messing with you. I've never told anyone other than my wife and my mom this information, this is real. I bite my nails and then I just, I smell my fingers and I stop every time every time i'm like about my nails and i go I smell and i'm done and i try to hide it i do this little like brush on my nose i don't know what i'm doing i don't have an itch i'm just hoping you didn't notice if you've ever seen me do that thank you thank you for your grace but i do it all the time i've been doing it since a young kid i didn't know i didn't know what i was doing It just happened and then it stayed there, all right? Some of you still suck your thumb, probably not. Some of you still have blankies. I still bite my nails and then get a little whiff. I don't know why, I don't know. I'm not even saying it smells good. I'm just saying it's a weird thing I do. I'm just like vulnerable before you saying, I know, I know it's strange. And one of my goals growing up was whenever I meet the one, she will never know that. That, like, figure out how to make it, do something different than just scratch your nose. Like, like you know, do figure out a way to hide this weird habit you got. Because I knew the habit wasn't going anywhere. So then the goal becomes hiding the habit, right? Like, I'm forever gonna do this. It is a source of comfort. Um, other than the Lord, it's like a refuge. I'm totally kidding. And, and so I remember the first time Leah acknowledged that she knew that I did that. Whew, y'all. That was tough. <laughs> that was tough. Like sweaty palms immediately. Like just not okay. Like no, we're not even married yet. You cannot know this before you've agreed to stay with me through sickness and health cuz this is a sickness I have, <laughs> you know? Like this isn't good. And I remember like just being scared like Leah, she can't know this. She I want her to know almost everything. But part of the almost is that I bite my nails and then, you know what I'm saying? Get a little something, something out of it. And, uh, and I, I remember when Leah figured it out and I can't even tell you how neutral and like mundane the conversation was. She was like, yeah, I've seen you do that like a lot. I, you do that all the time. I know you do it. I think that's how it went. I'm pretty sure you said, I've seen you. This isn't the first time I've ever noticed you doing this. And I remember how normal it was. And I remember just this like, whew, you're lying that this is okay to like this is acceptable. We're still dating, right? And it sounds dumb because I wasn't hiding sin, right? Like I don't think I mean it. I don't know, maybe I don't know. Maybe, but it doesn't feel like sin to me, right? Really, I just don't want her to know I'm weird. That's, what I, that's the sin I'm hiding is, yeah, I'm weird, all right? I have weird habits, and I don't mean to. They're just there. Please don't think I'm weird. Doesn't that kind of describe dating? Basically just showing your weirdness until you convince them to leave or marry you, one of the two, right? And I was in that phase with Leah. Is this weirdness acceptable? But that's kind of the, the deal. It's like you want to be known, but you not all of it. Please don't know that part. And then they find it out. And if you've ever had that moment where someone discovered, oh, you are kind of weird, you didn't just say you were weird. You actually told me a weird thing. That just happened. I'm not just saying it's weird. We all agree. That's a little weird, right? But on the other end, to hear her acceptance, and I don't mean to give you like a love story. I know pastors do that when they're married. I'm not trying to isolate those who aren't married, but it is what came to my mind, like the most vulnerable hand-swept moment. But to be fully known like that, for her to know that detail and go, yeah, so what? Like I don't, we don't have to keep talking about this conversation. It meant so much. I just kind of thought about, like, being loved is, like, awesome. But being known, not just the good and the bad, but the weird neutrals, being known and being loved, that's the next level, right? Oh, you don't just love me, you know about me. You know the stuff that I think might prevent the love, and yet you love me. Anyway, now, we're about to preach, we, yeah, we're all about to preach this conversation about, being known, and being loved. And part of this feels very central to what you hear at church, but we're gonna explore it a little more. And really, I'm just praying the Holy Spirit helps you go there, helps you go there in the truth of Scripture. Um, We're gonna dig into, man, what does Scripture say about a God who knows everything? Like, what does Scripture think about that God? What's he like with all of that knowledge? And we're gonna give three minutes to a big picture meta knowledge, cosmic Infinite that level, and then the rest of our time will be way more relational. It'll be way closer, more intimate. That's just where I felt drawn. Uh, I again, I said this last week. I want to have like an intellectual conversation about God being all-knowing, omniscient. I want to stay up in the philosophical clouds, but it's just not where I was drawn this week. And our teaching team and Gentry, as he helped build my sermon. Um, okay, so today, God is all-knowing. Big picture, you don't have to turn there. Story of Job. If you've never heard of Job and you wanna tap in to some of the meta God's vast knowledge of everything in existence, Job is a great book. I'm gonna give you a summary that doesn't do it justice. Um, The story of Job is one where a guy goes through unthinkable suffering. It's unimaginable. It's the worst case scenario within the worst case scenario, loses everything. A lot of Job is Job and a few buddies trying to figure out why this happened and why God did it. Why would this happen to you, Job? So they get wise counsel and the quotes are on purpose because they prove themselves to be very unwise. Basically what they do is what we do. That's a big mysterious thing. I don't understand this. Let's all talk together, project our experiences onto God. Maybe we can figure this thing out. And in chapter 38 and 39, God interjects into the conversation and goes, okay, he didn't actually say this part, but okay, you guys have had your chance to get in a circle and theorize what God is like. Here is what I have to say. He says things like this, who is this that darkness counsels by words without knowledge? That's an epic sentence. One more time. Who is this? That darkness counsels by words without knowledge. In other words, the ignorance in your speech. (laughs) Like, you guys thought you were solving something about me? You were just sharing man-made ideas over and over and over again. You know, it doesn't measure up to an infinite God, man-made projections. It just doesn't work. It breaks down. God says things like, I will question you and you make it known to me. In other words, I'm gonna ask you something you answer. This is one of his questions. Where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth. That's what he says. Where were you? When I was forming the world with my words, when my thoughts became physical and existence happened because I thought it so, where were you? And God isn't, it can feel, it's it's a big flex what he's doing. It is, it is a very much, but it's not so much a, hey, you're so stupid for thinking these things. It's more, Hey, you need to know the difference between a perspective of a human and the perspective of an eternal God. And you need to feel the chasm between those two perspectives and how the operating system is entirely different. <laughs> like, like the way that God views the world and existence and the way He hangs stars into space, like. It's just a different playing field that you cannot tap into. You can't commiserate enough to understand. You can't philosophize, if that's even a word. I'm sure it's not enough to understand what God is up to. Like you can't do it. The chasm is wide. Isaiah 40 says, what has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? In other words, what man gives God advice as if he has anything to teach God? I don't know if you've ever been on TikTok and seen a life hack for 2021 and been like, oh, I never knew that. The Coke tab, it bends the other way. You can put a straw through it. That's the point of the tab. I never knew that Coke cans were designed to have straws in them. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Wow! God's never had that moment. (laughs) You ever been on Pinterest and been like, whoa, that, I think kale can taste good. If I follow these, if I scroll for seven minutes to finally get to the instructions, why do they do that? I don't need your personal history with this recipe. Just give me the instructions, Pinterest. But you're like, yeah, it's true. Amen, church. Let's just talk about Pinterest for a little bit. There's flaws in that app. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna, okay. That's coming. Tell the 11. Pinterest jokes are coming. All right. Um, But that moment where you go, that's how. God's never had that moment. That epiphany, that light bulb, that ah, there it is. Never, never for God. No aha moments in his presence. He knows whether or not there is life on Mars. He knows how many Labradoodles live in condos in Nashville. He knows the dog parents that pick up the, bo- the poop in a little baggie and those that look the other way when no one can see. Yeah, he knows. He knows if you pick up the poop, you're supposed to, but God knows. But even more than that, that was a, that joke I'll eliminate. But even more than that, He knows the hairs on your head. He knows what brings your soul joy, what brings it grief. God knows about the cosmos, but he also knows about what's going on inside of you. He doesn't stay at this big, broad level with his knowledge. He gets personal. And that's why this conversation, I think, ends up becoming more about belief and relationship than it does intellect. I think it's important for us. So let's get personal. I wanna start in Psalm 139. So if you like to read along, this is a good passage to turn to. Psalm 139, verses one through six. I'm watching my time. I'm gonna try to make sure I leave room for us to have a a little conversation with one another afterwards. So um, don't worry about time. Let Let me worry about it and inevitably go too long. Oh yeah, I'm also gonna turn to Psalm 139. (laughs) All right, let's do this. This is, so good, y'all, so good. Okay, Psalm 139, and I I wanna read verses one through six. Um, I'd actually love if someone else would read it. If someone's turned to Psalm 139, one through six, I'd love for someone to read it out loud. Yeah, Asher, please. Thanks. Thanks, man. Um, Okay. I want to walk through this slowly to see. This is David, King David. Uh, He's got a lot of authority. He's kind of a boss. And if you know about people in authority, sometimes they get prideful and they assume that they're the best of the best. But King David, with all of his power, is coming before God and going, now, God, you're different. You're not like other kings, other people in power. You're bigger. Something's different about you, right? And so I'm just going to look at some of these quotes and just kind of talk about it. Um, So first, you have searched me and known me, all right? So that's already done. God has done all of the searching and the knowing about David, and I think David would suggest about you, that can already be known. So if you're wondering, does God really, does he know? Yes. Psalm 139 starts with, you know everything about me. You've searched me. Think about someone searching, finding every nook and cranny, every detail. You've searched me. You know me, all right? You are acquainted. This is the next quote. You're acquainted with all my ways. You're familiar with me, my patterns, my habits, my instincts, my characteristics. You know how I do things. You know why I do things. You ever had a friend that you're close enough to where if something really good has happened but you're not trying to talk about it yet or something really bad is happening and you're not trying to talk about it yet but they just see it. They're like, hey, what's going on? What's up? You're I. You're doing that thing. What are you you gonna tell me? Do you guys ever had a friend like that? It's like, that's the Lord. He's like, I know. I already know. Like, I know what's going on. You can tell me, right? You know how, I, I know how you are. And it says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. I wanna stop here, because that word behold means to stop, to pause, to meditate. Behold, before a word is on my tongue, you already know it, you know completely. Before I even know it, you're there, you know it. And this took me somewhere. Because before a word is on your tongue, where is that word? Does it exist somewhere before it comes out of your mouth? My brain went to, oh yeah, my brain. It exists in my brain. Even if it's impulsively, you still get that like split second where you're like, you probably shouldn't say this. And then out it goes, right? Can't get that back, toothpaste in the, you know, toothpaste back in the tube. You ever done that at VBS? Nope, okay. Um, Luke 6.45, Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of your life, the good and the evil, it comes out of the heart. So maybe it's like heart, then brain, then tongue, you know, (laughs) then it comes out, right? And your mind ends up being your greatest ally and your greatest filter. Because Lord knows, some of the thoughts in my head that never make it out of my mouth, I'm just like, thank you, brain, for knowing not to put that out there, (laughs) right? To just cut off that thought right there and just stop it right before it gets to my throat and out of my mouth, right? But when I read this, I thought, oh God, but you knew that. You knew the thing that I filtered out. Like before I was a smart aleck to my wife and I thankfully filtered it so she doesn't know, but you know, you know the war within, (laughs) you know some of the selfishness that was in me, you know the pride, you know the, the argument, you know what I almost said, you know what thing, not to, this isn't about Lee anymore, you know what finger or fingers I almost held up in traffic because how can you possibly make that term without a blinker? You saw that, right? Uh, you know what I didn't say out loud, you know the motives, where they come from, and I just wanna sit here for a second and just think to yourself, Like, do you ever sit and kinda blow your mind with some of the thoughts that come across? We play it, we're Instagram culture, so we play it all smiles, but come on, get there. Find yourself in traffic. Traffic's my thing, that's my weakness. I need to think of better examples. I hate traffic. Everyone's bad at driving, except me. Everyone needs to catch up to me. The self-checkout at, I wrote some examples. The self-checkout at Kroger. (laughs) Okay, don't go to Kroger when you're there. A lot of pressure on the checkout. (laughs) Your your classmates, your suite mates. My suite mates were opera majors when I was in school. Do you know what an opera major does to warm up at 7 a.m.? Yeah. God knows those thoughts. When someone else finds the success that you were hoping for, when you're just too tired, when there's a blue check mark on Instagram, and since they're famous and you don't know them, the thoughts you get to just throw their way when they look happy and successful, you doubt they're actually happy, you envy their wealth, you would never wanna be that way, but really it's because you're jealous that you can't be that way. All those little things in you, you know, all that stuff. And if you ever wondered what a God with all knowledge does with that brain when he knows those thoughts, because on the surface, that's intrusive. God, could you mind your business or at least put me on mute for a little bit because my brain's a crazy place, okay? But I want you to look at verse five. You miss this if you don't know what I'm about to tell you. So good news, we're not gonna miss it. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me." So what does this mean? Because honestly, if you're gonna lay hands on someone, what does that mean today? You ever wanna hear that phrase? If you're about to lay hands, what are you about to do? You're about to to get down, about to punch somebody, right? To lay hands means I'm gonna lay my fist on your face and then you're gonna take a nap, right? That's laying hands. You're about to go to sleep, night-night, you know? That's what's going down. When it's used in the Hebrew, this is really powerful. This would be more about a potter with clay. That's the image that would have been evoked here in the Hebrew. So before and behind me, your hands are around me, like this, but not choking. If you've ever seen someone in a pottery class, I've only seen it on movies, I've actually never watched this in person, but the clay that like spins really fast, I don't know how rough and tough that is, but it would seem to me that punching the clay or choke holding the clay would really ruin the creation. Have you done this before? Am I right? Do you have to be somewhat gentle? It can handle a little bit, right? But you can't do too much, right? Because then you'll just knock it off. In my head, that clay could just fall off at any second. So what does it take? It takes this gentleness. And that is exactly what's being evoked here. Remember, we're in Old Testament. We're with the Old Testament God right now. And David says, you know everything. And with your knowledge, you take your hands and very gently beside me, in front of me, behind me, mold me, you take care of me the rough edges, you slowly smooth them out and you shape me into your image. I mean, it's gentle, it's kind. A potter cannot be rough. It ruins the creation. No one knows that like a potter who's had many, <laughs> many pieces of clay in his hands. He's smooth. I thought about my grandfather. There was one time, I'm a hummingbird. You can pull up that picture now. That there was a hummingbird. Um, in my uh, grandfather's garage and it was trapped. And if you've ever seen a fly or a bird get trapped, they don't understand windows, they just see daylight. And so they just keep hurting themselves. And it's really sad, it's awful. Especially when it's a little hummingbird, just those little wings, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I remember uh, my grandfather had to pick it up off the ground. And I remember how scared the hummingbird was. It was like, obviously there's this massive being with like sticks coming out of his body, like, nah, it's okay, you know? It's just like a really creepy thing, thinking about the hummingbird. Like it's gotta be a creepy situation. But little did the hummingbird know, my grandfather, if there's mother nature, my grandfather's like brother nature. Like he's so one with animals. He's had so many stray cats and dogs just come over to his house and stay there. He's just one of those guys. I don't know what that's like, uh, because he's a hunter too. You think animals would sense, like, I think you kill animals sometimes, you know, (laughs) but uh, they come to him anyway. And I just thought about how, man, the hummingbird will never know this because it's a hummingbird, but it was in safe hands in that moment. My grandfather just wanted to help the hummingbird live and escape and all those things. And that's the picture I got. I don't know if you can see it in those hands, but I could see it. There's a softness there. That's the picture I was reminded of with God's knowledge. With God's knowledge of your life, find yourself in a memory, just a, a room full of memory foam mattresses, perfectly molding to you for your best comfort. I mean, it's just a Casper mattress, just the best of the best. The mattress you always wanted can't afford. I've been mattress shopping lately. <laughs> then literally yesterday. And and I just I just thought about like, no, the hands of the father are not uncomfortable. They're not rough and tough with you. They're molding you, they're safe. With all that knowledge, this is what happens. It's soft, it's careful, it's intentional, it's caring, it's attentive. And if you don't believe this, if this feels too far out, I would invite you to take Psalm 139, one through six, meditate over and over again on this passage this week. Go somewhere pretty. We finally got the weather, y'all. Go somewhere pretty for 30 minutes, repeat this, and feel your soul dying for this to be true and then feel the Holy Spirit fighting for you to know it is true. It is. He actually sees it all and actually with full knowledge loves you. I know this is a popular Christian thought. It's kind of like the gospel, right? Receive this truth. Work through the exercise. Go back to your earliest memory. Look at the span of your life, all your thoughts, all your decisions, all your pain. I could cry thinking about what God sees when he looks at my life. I know he sees good. I know he sees bad. I know he sees the neutral. He sees all of it. And even in the 2021, my truth era, this is why I'm all of these things. Even there, we know, we know deep down If someone knows everything, I might be in trouble. At least it's gonna be love with certain exceptions. I mean, at least some conditions. And I would urge you to sit with the Holy Spirit and go, God, help me to know that you know it all and with no conditions, love me. Preach that sermon to yourself if it's hard to do that, preach it to someone else in your head and then remind yourself that you were actually talking to you. He loves you. He knows you, okay? This stays true in Matthew chapter six. So if you're if we're still doing the read what I'm reading, go to Matthew six and look at verses one through 18. We won't read all of them. But Jesus does more to further this narrative that he knows all of it. In fact, I probably won't even read here. Uh, you can just look at it. It'll be helpful. If you've got the headings, you see that verses one through four says giving to the needy. Verses five through 15 says the Lord's Prayer. Verses 16 through 18 says fasting. And so Jesus is gonna talk about giving and praying and fasting. And three times, one for each category, here's how he wraps it up. Your father who sees in secret, says go do this in private. Pray in private, give in private, be generous in private, fast in private. Don't tell anybody, keep it between you and God. And check this, your father who sees, he will reward you. Your father sees the good you do and he rewards you. What's the connotation of a secret? If I tell you I got a secret and you can't know, Because of our world, because of our sitcoms and our reality TV shows and whatever else that we consume, when I tell you I've got a secret, you think you've got a scandal. That's what you've got. It's something juicy, some hot goss, as I never say. (laughs) You've got something, right? If someone has a secret, if you see a headline, Kanye West has a secret and no one can know, you don't go, I bet it's about his prayer life. I bet it's about his Bible reading plan. You go, did he cheat on Kim when they were married? That's the first thing you jump to. And I just wanna like rewire our brains. Jesus is going, no, 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 no. There's a different way to think about secrecy. All right, there's a different way to think about what happens when no one is looking. He says, do good in the private. Pray in the private places in your life in a world where nothing happens if it's not on social media, in a world where I've unfollowed all of my national friends and y'all, it wasn't because of a ratio. Everyone go unfollow me. I don't care about the ratio. I just don't wanna live life online this way in this season, right? But in that world, I'm like, wait, I don't know what any of my friends are doing anymore. It turns out we were all living on Instagram. And what's Instagram if not what I choose to show you about my life. It's this place of public exhortation. This is what I'm doing. But what message do we need to hear? God sees the good you do. Social media does not validate your happiness or the appearance of happiness or the good things you do or the appearance of the good things you do. If you went to the thing that everyone's saying to go to, you posting it did not validate your integrity. It did not do that. Jesus is saying the good you do Keep that in secret and your father who sees you will reward you. And we need to go harder here. We need to dig deeper. Why would God reward? If someone rewards you, why are they rewarding you? Someone give me, the simple, just give me a simple answer. If you're getting rewarded, what is it telling you? Keep doing it. What else is it telling you about the person rewarding you? They appreciate you, they approve of you, they're thankful for you, they're excited for you. And I just wanna take some time to highlight something. Guys, when you do good, your father sees you doing good, and he rejoices in you doing good, and he is so proud of you. He is. That is just as much scripture as confess your sins when you do good, the father sees you and he applauds you. Like when you give to the needy, when you tithe, when you pray, when you fast, Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody, soak in my joy. Good job, way to go. Start to applaud yourself and know that you didn't start the applause, heaven did. God is proud of you. He sees it, and he's happy. And our version of Christianity can accidentally turn into, have you made God mad lately? And I just want to tell you, that is not the push, the excitement of Christianity. I'll have these conversations with guys. 70% of men are addicted to pornography or watch it at least once or twice a week. That's the culture we live in. Eight-year-olds are seeing porn for the first time. That's where we're at. And I got 20-something-year-olds going, yeah, I started watching porn when I was like nine And last night I felt really tempted and I didn't do it, but man, I felt bad. I went, hey, right now, we're gonna course correct your narrative because my guy, you overcame temptation and sin and heaven is so proud of you. Way to be. You're amazing. Way to go. This is victory in the kingdom. (laughs) Guys, Christians stink at celebrating sometimes. Like, we need to spur each other on. Like, yeah, I was supposed to read the Bible every day. I did it four days. I'll try to get better. Great job. You're reading the Bible four days a week? I might not be doing that. I think I am. But I might not. Who knows? Great job, right? Like, rejoice. When you're a good friend, when you listen well, when you serve your spouse or your buddy or a stranger with no expectation of them serving you back, I'm not telling you to be arrogant and prideful. I just want you to live into the truth of scripture. God sees it, rewards it. You should smile about it. If all we do is live in this place of, good, <sniffs> was that, ah, was that too, if that's all we do, of course. Christianity is boring, y'all. That is a lame way to view God. If all he knows is the bad in you, God stinks. And I can say that without being a heretic because that is not how God describes himself in scripture. He knows all of it. And I just felt compelled and pulled to go, y'all, God is not neutral when you obey him. He's not just waiting for you not to obey him. Jesus says, man, when you're praying, go ahead and just start out by hearing the applause of heaven. Just start out, just hear heaven going, yo, let's talk let's talk. What's up? What's what's the Lord up to? What's he doing? I don't think you know how available that is to you, how you can sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pen and going, God, what, what are we talking about today? What do you think? What are we excited about? What are you inviting me into? I'm ready. And you're happy I'm here. So let's go. Pump some positivity into your faith walk. God doesn't just treat your secret sin and your secret weirdness with gentleness and kindness. He sees your secret good and rewards your soul. Y'all, come on. Y'all hear me? Can someone just share? Is is anyone encouraged? This is a weird situation. But if you're encouraged, can you name, what what are you hearing right now out of the Matthew 6 idea? What's on your mind? I'm gonna be patient because I really want you to think. But a father who sees you and rewards you. And if you're encouraged, would you just share why that's encouraging? It's so exhausting um, to only seek uh the approval of others. And it's so it just it's really encouraging to know that God sustains you in all, all that. Yikes, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah, it's 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 exhausting. Living for the approval of man, living for the approval of God is exhausting. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant that. He meant 100% finished. My approval is fully yours if you want it. My acceptance, 100% of it, right here, right now, never changing, is yours if you want it. (sighs) My soul needed to hear that. That's so good. Lastly, he doesn't just know the good and the bad. He knows your future. He knows. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not by your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one can brag. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God's knowledge guarantees us that we don't have to know where our life is headed, that God does and he will lead us in the way of life everlasting. What does a God with all time knowledge do with what he knows about our future? He leads us in the way of life everlasting. Psalm 23, he leads you to still waters. That's what he does with your future. That's the path he leads you down. John 10, 27 through 30, I'm hitting y'all with a lot. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. Now why Jesus? I and the father are one, Yahweh. We talked about this last week. Jesus does not divorce Old Testament from new. He says, it's the same thing. And the all-knowing God, knowing everything about you, holds you in his hands. No one can snatch you out of those soft, gentle hands. They're soft on the inside and fierce and just like calloused on the outside from just punching Satan in the face. Ah, I wanted to go way too hard into that punching mats with Satan. But he knows you. He knows your future. And what does he do with all that knowledge? He leads you in the way of life everlasting. He takes care of you. Fully aware of your good, bad, neutral, weird, strange, awkward, insecure, ashamed, embarrassed. Fully aware he leads you so well with the gentleness of a shepherd. Knowing the sheep are a little scared right now. He uses his supreme knowledge to lead you, to lead you. His knowledge of your life is the ultimate aid to your life. That's what I want you to know today. God's knowledge of your life is the ultimate aid to your life. It's the best news that he knows every nook and cranny about you. So bringing this to 2021, as you know, I'm trying to do the Old Testament, then a little New Testament, and then what about right now? I'm gonna start reading a lot of my notes again because I wanna make sure I say this right or say it how I have it in my notes. This conversation's important because I believe that we've been given a God-given instinct to want to be fully known. I think at the very bottom of our soul, we prefer that others know everything about us. But sin and hurt and pain and embarrassment manipulate that desire, okay? And they turn it into the story of Genesis one through three. The desire to be fully hidden from God, the opposite of that natural desire to wanna be fully known. And that's kind of the pattern of sin. Rebellion leads to shame and embarrassment, which births the instinct to hide. That's what Adam and Eve do. They don't become naked in the story of Genesis. If you don't know it, that might sound weird. You can just read it, it's pretty basic. But they don't become naked when they sin, right? They become embarrassed and ashamed that they're naked. They become aware and they learn to be ashamed of who they are. And when God speaks out and says, where are you? God is not wondering where they are. I believe he wants them to hear, you're hiding from me. If God's asking where you are, he's not looking. He's letting you know you're hiding. Something's different, something's changed. Even in the presence of a God that knew everything, they wanted to hide everything. And you and I inherited this trait. We live with these split personalities on the inside. We wanna be fully known and we wanna be fully hidden all at the same time. Whether it's something shallow like Your first week of school, you tried to hide your Southern accent so no one would know you might be a redneck like I did my first few weeks at Belmont, and it worked. I don't know if I'm proud of that or not, but I remember it working and being like, wow, that's a really trite thing to hide, my accent. I don't want people to assume things of me. It's kind of weird. Why did I do that? But I did it. I did it. (laughs) What if I? That's not even a country. I'm so sorry. That wasn't the right time. Whether you're hiding an accent (laughs) to hide where you're from or you're hiding the fact that you bite your nails and give just a tad bit of a sniff because it's a little embarrassing, right? Even in our deepest friendships, we just have these little secrets. We're like, you can know everything about me, but this thing, I just it might change our dynamic. Do you know those things about you? Do you have those little nuggets that you're like, I'll probably keep this one in, in me until I'm like 55 and really sure <laughs> that that friend or that spouse isn't going anywhere? We all live with this risk reward of being fully known and with every detail we give out, the riskier it gets, but also we love it because we also know it feels so good to get that detail out and to be loved still. Even that one? All right, I'm gonna raise you again. Even that one? All right, if you weren't done yet, here it comes. Here's that, right? We play that game in our relationships with God. Scripture preaches relentlessly. He knows every time you up the ante, he knows what you're about to bring and he knew it before you were born. And he just wants you to know out of that, he has not flinched, not taken back, not surprised, fully in love, fully sold on who you are and what makes you you. He sees that. He sees past the smile. He sees past the facade of social media. He sees past your sweet, bubbly personality that is really a blanket covering a ton of insecurity and shame and fear. He sees it. Grandpa hands, gently. Not not messing with you, not shaking you, not rattling you. Just, okay, I see it, I see it. In the same way, he sees the good in you and he lets you know not only is he paying attention, he's actively rewarding your sweetheart and you becoming more like Jesus. We don't give enough credit to soul rewards. Obedience does things to your soul. The thing we need is peace in our soul, right? You can't manufacture that. It has to happen way deep down. I think we, actually the time, I need to kind of keep moving, but he will reward your soul, and that's the place you live out of. That's the place, whether you know it or not, more than money more than the job, more than the marriage. Your soul needs a reward from heaven. And God says, I will give you that. I see you. Come to me in the secret place. I see you. I'll reward you. Okay. Reminder of our anchor passage, Exodus 34, six through seven. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and, the trans- and transgression and sin. The God-inspired scripture I want you to know. You are fully known and you're fully loved. All right, so I want to go to communion. I want to take time to process this uh, for about five minutes. Again, I will be the the timekeeper. You don't have to worry about it. But I want to invite you, only if you're comfortable, to circle up and to just share. Um, And I had two questions if you want to try to remember these. One, pre sermon, before you got here, the thought of God knowing everything, how would that make you feel? Just like if you could just share that briefly with with who you're with. how did that thought impact you? And in light of this sermon, number two, any revelations from today? Did anything stick out today that you, need to, you needed to hear, you needed to accept, or you need to carry with you and do something with it? But I would just invite you to share, if there's any light bulb moments, any epiphany moments, share those. And as you do that, uh, you can take communion uh, together as your groups. So we have communion on all the tables in the corners of the room. Um, I guess I'll dismiss you to get communion and then circle up. But after you conclude your conversation, Remember what communion is. Communion is Jesus saying, it's finished. It is done. The bread and the juice remind us Jesus gave his life so you could say, he sees me, he knows me, he loves me through and through, it's finished. So after your conversation, take communion with whatever amount of faith you can have, you can muster that God sees you and loves you and it's finished in Jesus, okay? Um, All right, that's what I have, that's what I have. Let me pray, and then I'll dismiss this to communion. We can circle up, only if you're comfortable, obviously. Um, Lord, thank you. Bless your name. We bless your name. Help us to receive this truth and take it further. In Jesus' name, amen.